Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the Coalition Coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Welcome to episode 22 of the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. I just wanted to take a moment to thank each one of you for listening to the podcast and for sharing it. We now have listeners in 49 states and 23 countries. Wow, you all are amazing. Also, I wanted to thank everyone who's taken time to give us feedback and write a review. If you haven't done so, it would mean a lot to us and it would help other coalition leaders find us on spaces like iTunes. So take a pause for a moment. We'll still be here when you come back. Go leave that review and then join us back here for a great episode. We are so excited to bring you this episode today with Jim Trick, who is a coach and consultant for That Life. He's also an author and musician, and he's going to tell us all about creating personal change. Jim Trick has overcome morbid obesity, turned a freelance consultancy into a six-figure income, and helped to build a million-dollar small business. But Jim's ultimate passion is working with people who want to personally and professionally live with greater freedom, fulfillment, and success. Jim was trained by the prestigious Coach Training Institute and certified by the International Coach Federation. Along with his work as a coach and consultant, Jim is also a professional musician and speaker. He's traveled all over the country teaching high-level executives the fine art of collaboration with banding people together and is also a frequent guest speaker at the Berkeley College of Music. And if this episode helps you in any way, we're asking if you would please consider sharing with a colleague, a friend, and help us continue to get these messages out to others. That would mean so much to us. And now for our episode with Jim Trick. Awesome. Well, welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast, Jim. We're so excited to have you on. I am so excited to be here with you, my dear friend. Yes. So uh, I know you really well, but our audience doesn't know you really well. So I thought maybe we'd start off where you just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, the things that you're involved in, and just some of the amazing ways that you've made uh, some personal change and also uh, helped some others change as well. Awesome. So uh, my name is Jim Trick, and I'm a, a speaker, author, coach guy. I basically get to make things for a living, and the things that I make are centered around overcoming the challenge of change. So part of my story, and we'll probably get into a little bit more, as you know, I, I spent most of my life morbidly obese. I was 430 pounds at my heaviest, and I was trapped in a, in a body I was trapped in a career that was unsatisfying and I had given up and thought that that was just the way it was going to be until through a perfect storm of motivation and inspiration, which are not the same things, I got back on the horse and got a new, got a new mission. And so now my greatest heartbreak has turned into my greatest joy 
And I love that you have a podcast about change. That's awesome. Yeah, so I love your personal story. Uh, I just want to dive right into that. Um, You just mentioned that you had kind of this moment. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that and just the change process that you went through and um, some of the things that people said to you along the way. Yeah, so, you know, for, for, for many of your listeners, they've had that experience where maybe their life is great, but there's one part of their life that they just can't seem to gain ground on. And you, you try so many times and you fail so many times that after a while, the fresh starts have more space between them. Because the idea of trying and failing again is so painful, so aversive. And that's where I was. You know, at my heaviest weight, I had gastric bypass surgery like around probably 17 years ago. And within three years had regained most of the weight. You can imagine how humiliating that was. And so I lived uh, as a second time around morbidly obese person just assuming that that I was that this is how I was made, this is who I am, and that I don't have any options. But about six and a half years ago, I just woke up one morning feeling like it was time to try again. And I can't explain why I felt like it was time, except that you know, maybe just enough time had gone by and the feeling of living the way I was living wasn't tolerable anymore. So I got up and I, I went for a walk. And while I was walking, I'm, I'm a prayer guy, I'm a meditation guy, whatever works, I'm that guy. And I just was walking along and I was, I was just saying this little prayer. Why do, and I was, I was asking a question, why do we know what to do, but we don't do it? Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I mean? I do, I know like, exactly it, what you mean. It's such a common question or common statement. I know what I know what to do, but I don't do it. So I, I was questioning why that was, and the answer that I felt like I got, and it wasn't an audible voice, and the clouds didn't part. <laughs> but the simple answer that I felt in my heart was that we're slaves to our feelings. We're slaves to our feelings, and. When I, if I really stopped to think about what that meant for me, was that I was somebody who was making almost all of my life choices based on my feelings and how I felt. But what I realized is that values, you know, core, deeply held core values are much more reliable for healthy and powerful decision making. And it's um, not, so it's not, you, know what, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I, that's so funny. I just want to interject. Like, I love what you're saying because it's made me think of one of the things we do um, and all my listeners, we work in communities at the community level to create change. And oftentimes, I mean, change is really hard. Uh, you'll start working on a program or something that you know is the right answer. You know it's true but you just don't have buy-in and people will just say, oh, it's the same way it's always going to be. Nothing's ever going to change. And one of the things that I learned a few years back was really going back to those core values of the community and, you know, driving that home and talking about some of the 
things that people do know about their community, but they just have drowned that out by their negative thoughts. And um, specifically, uh, I work in a school with kids, and about eight years ago, the kids just all kind of believed everybody drinks around here. This is what we do. Underage drinking is a part of who our school is. It's always going to be this way. You're crazy to think that you're ever going to make any change. And uh, we found out that barely the majority, but uh, 52% of the kids were not engaged in underage drinking. And we just started talking about one, like our school values being healthy. Like we as, because the kids told us like, yeah, we do believe in being healthy, but like it's just never going to change. And we started giving them some words and a different, a different thing to say and a different, uh, a different perspective letting them know like, yeah, a lot of kids do this behavior, but also a lot of you guys don't. And let's start talking about that. And over time, it's been pretty amazing because the kids now believe like that a lot of us do make healthy decisions and we do care about health. And it was just really using those values to talk to the kids and say like, this is who we really are. And this is who you believe that you really are underneath all that negativity like the kids really wanted to to be something different. It's, it's so almost cool it's, you say that. it's almost like the gift that you're giving them is a choice. You're saying, yeah. well, yeah, yeah, you have sure, sure, you have feelings, and sure, you know, sure, you have feelings and a perception of how things are. But let's just talk for a second about, you know, how do you feel about health? Mm-hmm. How do you know? How do you feel about relationships? And and and. Where is your value? How is your value surrounding these things being honored or not honored? So one, would, one, one who is fueled by their values might say, if it's ever going to change, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to start with me. So true. And when you, have, when you have an organization or you have a community or you have a group of teenagers in a community who are saying... The, the, the change comes from me. Mm-hmm. I, I am the change I want to see in the world. And then a magnificent thing happens when, when those individuals are connected to and are honoring their values. They start to free those around them to do the same thing for them to recognize that they have a choice, for them to understand that there's a better way, a higher path, a different approach, whatever you want to call it. But it's game-changing. Part part of our work is for people to really understand that no matter what you do, no matter where you come from, there's a leader inside of you. Yeah, yeah. It It starts with leading yourself. Tell me more about that. So when you tell somebody there's a leader inside, what if they just don't think that's true? How how do you uncover that? How do you help them see that? Well, I mean, at, at the core of leadership is the notion that leaders go first. And so if you have if you have somebody who is sort of speaking a little bit of a teeter totter, you know, this is this is just what kind of what we do. And we, we, you know, we drink, we use, we waste a lot of time and we know that it's not healthy and we know that it's not wise, but, but we, but, you know, but nothing's ever going to change to get with that person making that statement 
and simply ask the question, well, what would it be like for you if you decided not to drink? Mm. What would it be like for you if you just decided that you weren't going to waste time, that you weren't going to waste your youth on on partying? What would your life be like? Mm. And they might say something like, well, I kind of do that anyhow. They might say, well, it would be, it would be weird, but I'd have a better future. Oh, and then you start asking questions like, well, what would you love your future to look like? And now that individual starts to get a vision for the, for what happens when you honor your values and they become, they become a self leader. Mm. And then the people, and then the people around you, either through your intention or their observation are bound to say, Hey, what's different about you? What's going on? So good. I love how you ask questions too. And I think Mm. something really powerful is no, you know, knowing the right questions, because I think oftentimes people are more likely to just prescribe the answer uh, when digging up uh, the answer, when the person themselves digs up that answer and the answers come out of their own mouth. It's so much more uh, believable and powerful but unlike doable uh, when the person kind of discovers those answers by being asked the, the right questions, I guess. Yeah, well, especially if you're talking about working with teenagers, right? Because teenagers, their whole world is centered around people who are a lot older than or, or, or people who are a lot older than them, hmm. typically a little out of touch. And basically saying, this is what you're going to do, or this is what I think you should do. And people, first of all, people have their best answers inside themselves. And people are way more likely to follow through on intentional change that they're trying to make and commitments that they want to keep if that change and if those commitments come from themselves, come from within side. Wow, that's so true. It reminds me of a story. Um, a few years back, we had some issues in our community right across from our uh, our school. There's a tennis court, and that tennis yep. court has been kind of notoriously known for where a lot of partying and drinking goes. It's covered in shrubs. Like, you can't see inside of the tennis courts at all. It's just, you know, this perfect little haven where you can go in there and do whatever, and no one can see you. And um, I remember just people, adults in the community, giving all their great ideas of what they should happen. And then somebody had the great idea, let's let's ask the kids what they think um, and what their ideas are. And the kids acknowledged that it was a problem. And a handful of them were like, you know, we wish somebody would just take down all the bushes and trees from around there. Because I don't think that people would be drinking in there or doing any of those things if they felt like everybody was watching them. And we're like, that sounds like such a simple idea. Um, and the community tried it, and guess what? People play tennis in there now, and uh, there's yeah. there, we haven't had any problems in two years in there. But that idea came from young people, and from instead of telling them, here's what we're going to do to make sure you guys do X, Y, Z, asking them, hey, what do you guys think would make this situation better? I work with a, a company called Banding People Together, and their mission is simply to help people step into the best version of themselves when they're working with others with a heavy focus on collaboration. And one of the things that we say is that 
when a person has a voice, they can contribute. And when a person sees how their contribution fits the bigger picture, they have purpose. And when they have purpose, they're engaged. And so just this notion of recognizing that wisdom, man, wisdom can come from almost anywhere, mm-hmm. even if it's a cautionary tale for crying out loud. But sure. yeah, if you've, got, if you've got an area where there's a bunch of kids hanging out uh, and there's trouble going on, and you know, who's going to be better at fixing that than the people, the kids that are actually there yeah. or the bureaucrats that are speculating and wondering? So true. So banding together, I'm so curious about that. Tell me a little bit more about that um, and just kind of what you do, because I know it's music-oriented. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Banding People Together was founded about seven years ago by a fellow named Alan Schaefer, who he had sold uh, sold Tordates.com for something like $12 million and lost his fortune, took the – through – through an acquisition, through a stock acquisition, but then took whatever little money he had left and decided to take his rock band around the world. The rock band broke up within two years because he was leading it like a tyrant. And so here's this guy who was on top of the world and then lost his fortune and then lost his rock band. And someone gave him a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which talks about the five dysfunctions of a team. And, and he said, well, if I had had this book 10 years ago, my life would be a lot different. And he made it his mission to understand the science of collaboration and how people work together. And so we travel around the world as a rock band, uh, in, incorporating music because it, in, it involves your limbic brain. It's the part of you that's able to memorize lyrics. Mm-hmm. And so there's a head-heart connection that happens when things are presented musically. But at the, at the core of, band, of banding people together is this, this idea of true collaboration. They actually have a trademark on it. And it's, the idea is that true collaboration lives at the, contribu- at the, at the uh, intersection of voice, contribution, and commitment. Having a voice, understanding your contribution, and that leading to, to commitment. And, you know, it's changing the way companies all over the world are hearing from their employees and changing the way employees are engaging with each other for greater engagement, less turnaround, more productivity. It's, it's incredible. That sounds so much fun. I love that you incorporate music because uh, for me, it, I just have realized just how everyone has a different learning style. Um, I really noticed that um, in this work and how different everyone is and how different things speak to different people. And I love that you're finding not the same old boring lecture or webinar, but yeah. a really unique perspective of being able to help organizations and communities create change so tell me about some of the results or a story of that just um just one of the success sides of that like how does that all work is it like a retreat that you do or yeah it can be a one day it can be a two day and it can be one-on-one coaching the methodology is is applied over a broad spectrum but the thing that that always blows me away with banding people together methodology is how early, let's say we're doing a full day program, within the first two hours, 
you can hear participants beginning to use our language adopted in a really clear way where, again, within the first hour, hour and a half, a great philosophical shift happens in people recognizing not only their own collaborative style, but the collaborative styles of their coworkers and teammates. And when they understand the strengths and weaknesses that different collaborative types bring to the table, you, they begin to realize their need for the other. Mm-hmm. So that if I'm somebody who is sort of like very, if I'm very relationship focused and if I'm, if I'm very uh, sort of like, you know, reactive or, or spontaneous, I really need to have somebody on my team who is more task focused Mm -hmm. and somebody who's more of a planner. And if all you did was look at the differences, you might drive each other crazy. But when you recognize the gift that each brings, the one, one, one person who can kind of be the life of the party and bring joy and creativity and another part who shares in that, but their, but their approach is more, um, infrastructure and planning so mm-hmm. things actually get done it just it's a really powerful balance i love that i'm actually i was just talking with a colleague about this similar idea yesterday um and how a lot of times what will happen in our world is that we have a list of people that our funding requires us to have at the table and yep. we assume just because these are the people at the table well, they're going to do these certain tasks that need to be done. And a lot, like one of the biggest mistakes I've personally made is just assuming that because you have this title, you're going to do these things rather than helping find out the strengths and the weaknesses of the people around the table and what inspires them and what will be a good team, like putting a good team together. Um, I definitely made that. I, I can remember it clear as day. I had a, um, a police officer that sat at the table and one of the things in our field that we need to do is we need to work around our compliance checks and making sure kids aren't being served um, alcohol underage. And I just assumed because you're the police officer, this is what you're going to want to do. And he came up to me after a couple of months of working with us and he was like, this is not what I want to do at all. Like I, we have other people on our team that can do that. Like that's not what I want to do. I'd rather connect with parents and you know talk to them and you know be a help you on that those initiatives and I was just so like I it never even thought like the thought never occurred to me that he would want to do anything else and if I had done some time like getting to know him and his strengths and finding out that he was a real conversationalist he loved to sit down and talk with people I mean I would have never put him in the whole enforcement and doing uh, compliance checks so we have these little these little sister companies and projects that all kind of work together, banding people together. Um, we have a friend who has a company called Creating uh, Night Speaker, and his and his thing is about creating a culture that rocks. Mm-hmm. And then, as you know, last year I wrote a book with yes. uh, my best friend called Rock and Roll with It, overcoming the challenge of change. So there's all these sort of music slash rock skinned projects that I'm a part of these days. But the, the reason I bring up rock and roll with it, overcoming the challenge of change by Jim Trick and Brant Menzoir, available on Amazon.com. It's an is, awesome um, book, too. I've gotten the chance to read a bunch of it. So it's a good book. Thank you. 
Thanks for that. We actually make this point. We say that inspiration is different from motivation. Uh And inspiration tends to be uh, sort of external. It's the YouTube videos that you watch. It's, uh, it's the, 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 you know, inspirational pictures of a bird taking off with a quote underneath it that we used to hang in our offices that I think, thank God we don't anymore. But so we say there's a difference between motivation and inspiration and that inspiration is external and that motivation or motivating operations as behavior, behavioral science would refer to it says that there's really, there are four motivators for human behavior. In the book, we break it down to the acronym PRISM, P-R-I-S-M. P is really just perspective uh, or perceptual. It's sort of what you think is going to happen if you engage a particular behavior. But the four motivators for human behavior are removal the idea that you want to remove something aversive. You're like, it's like the little kid who doesn't want to practice piano, mm-hmm. but his mom keeps nagging him and nagging him and nagging him, and so he wants to remove the nagging, and so he practices the piano. Yes. Makes sense? Have you ever been, totally. have you been in a position where there's something you don't want to get done, but you get it done because there's something else that is worse yeah. for you? No, that, that, yeah, absolutely. It sounds like the fellow that you're just talking that you were just talking about falls into the next category. So if R is removal, I is interpersonal, and that's when that's when you're motivated motivated by behavior that's going to connect you socially okay. or interpersonally. Um, sensation, and that's why you know, for example, interpersonal might be why someone decides to learn how to play the guitar when they're in high school. Mm, okay, because they think they because they know they're going to get attention. <laughs> The, the S is sensory, and that's when a person engages a behavior just because they love it. They love yeah. it so much that they would do it. They would do it if there was no money. They would do it if there was no accolades. They just love doing it. Okay. And then the last one is material, and that's the person whose primary motivation is a material product at the end. And that could be like somebody who's very money-motivated, or okay. it could be a carpenter who is um, – it could be a carpenter who's just psyched at the end of the day to have made a chair or built a house, okay. but to have something to show for it. And so <clears throat> when, it comes to, when it comes to leadership or management of any kind of a team, understanding what your team members' primary motivators are mm-hmm. is such a powerful way of getting them to do the right work at the right time for the right reasons. And even if somebody has a task that might not be, it might be on their job description, but it might not be their lifelong calling or yeah. their heart song. Yeah. But if you are able to, 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 um, to structure the completion or execution of that task in a way that lines up with a, a primary motivator for them, then it's game changing. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, that... Maybe something, something as simple as stuffing envelopes. Maybe you tell your friend, hey, I need you to stuff these 500 envelopes for me. And you're like, oh. But then you say, and we're going to do it all together and we're going to have pizza. Then he's like, yeah, envelope stuffing. Yeah, yeah, you're, ab- you're absolutely right about that. By the way, we just had a bunch of envelopes stuffed today, so I think that's funny. <laughs> um, Ooh, I hope they did it together and I hope they ate pizza. They did do it together and they had a great time. We have a great group of young people who... Do that. Oh, they see it as part was, of their 
um, their entrepreneur kind of job. They have like a little title for themselves and they it's like their little company that they have where they envelope stuff for us. But was there pizza? I don't know if they had pizza because I think during well, school hours we have like health codes or something where you can only have like whole wheat something pizza and the kids don't, mm-hmm. they're not the biggest fans of the uh, that's fine. Modified pizza. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on their side. If yeah. you're gonna eat, you just go for it. Ex- and that's yeah, funny. exactly. We did do we do we do motivate people with ice cream after school hours uh, from time to time, which is been, nice. Yeah. Um, I love what you were saying too. It made me think of something I just read, where they talked about one of the biggest reasons why people don't engage when it comes to like this type of work is because they don't feel like whatever they're doing is effective. Like they don't see how it connects to the overall um, the overall goal or the overall picture and how important it is to connect the dots. Can you say anything around that or is that something that you've heard too or Yeah, I think that I think that people want to sort of have a, a common a common goal. They want to have a, a vision is is really important and it's almost like saying this is what we're doing without a really big why yeah. is, is, and that, and that goes from, that goes for organizations and it goes for individuals. And so for me, you know, as somebody who was morbidly obese, couldn't fit in one airplane seat, couldn't sit in a booth in a restaurant, that's kind of ironic, but couldn't sit in a booth in a restaurant. And, and I had this list of things that I thought would make me change and they just they just never did and it was because i didn't have a big enough why but when i really created a vision for what i wanted my life to look like life coach came up and i thought to myself well i don't know how many people want a 400 pound life coach mm-hmm. but the idea of getting to speak into people's lives and to work with people who were trying to change what's possible for themselves that just felt so juicy that's and awesome. in the end, that was that was the thing. That was the thing for me, having that purpose, having that vision so crystal clear. And so for organizations, I think that when, and this sort of goes in line with values, you know, this is how we operate. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to make this thing. We're going to create this program. And this is why we're going to do it. And this is what we believe we can accomplish. Wow, that's then so people, good. yeah, then it, then it's clear. Anything that's sort of like vague and, and hazy, like when people say, oh, I got to lose a bunch of weight or I want to make a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of, a <clears throat> bunch of isn't, isn't really anything. When a person says, I want to lose 15 pounds and I want to do it in the next six months. Yes. Yeah, like when it comes to smart goals or something. Yeah, when a company says we want to do we want to do um, ten million dollars in revenue next year, which is a fifteen percent increase. This is why we want to do that, and this is how we're going to accomplish it. Then, then you can you can get into that. You can connect with that because you have a metric in place. Yeah, and I mean you can you can track progress on that. Like I think that's something. Oh, that's so good. It just, I think in our field, a lot of times people will be like, oh yeah, we want to reduce, um, you know, 
youth drug use. Well, great, but like, tell me the specifics. We want to reduce it by 5% by this time and this year. It, I mean, it, it motivates people like when they can see that number changing and you're constantly talking about that and you're talking about the stories um, behind it. Like I find just not the numbers, but like talking about the kids who are noticing the difference. Like it's so there's so much more momentum behind that than just the vague. Oh, totally. oh I hope this, you know, let's do good things. And if you said and if you said to yourself, you know, your first, you know, your first year in operation that, you know, you there was a, a 2% drop. And then if and then you market around the idea, we believe that we can decrease underage drinking in this region by 75% in the next five years, which will result in this number of lives saved. Mm-hmm. This, this, this number of, of people who finish high school, um, you know, and all of the, the cultural and, and communal benefits that come from kids who aren't out partying. That's so with, helpful. With drugs and alcohol. Yeah, I, yeah. That's, that's so helpful. Well, it's like a surprise to me. I just looked down at the time, and we've flown by half an hour already, and um, this has been such a good conversation. Like, I I just wanted to give our listeners a chance, though. Um, we're going to put in the show notes um, just some of the things that you've talked about, some of the books, your book, um, but where can people find you if they want to – follow you on Instagram or anything like that? Where can people, uh, what's the best place for people to reach you? So I'm on all social media. If you Google my name, which is Jim and first name is Jim. Last name is kind of funny. My last name is trick T as in Tom R I C K. They can go to jimtrick.com. They can go to thatlife.com. uh, Facebook, Jim trick, Instagram, Jim underscore trick, Twitter at Jim trick. You see a theme here? Uh, oh, Jim Trick. All right. Yeah, so we will we'll yeah, make sure not, in little, case you little, didn't get it. A little, self, little self-focused, but yeah. yeah. In case I, anybody I, didn't I, get it. I don't it. know how they would find me without me being having my name in it. No, nope, that's, that's perfect. Um, I know people are gonna definitely going to look you up and want to hear more. Um, this has been such cool. a fascinating conversation, and um, I hope that in the future we can – have you back on because I've already come up with a list of a whole more, bunch more questions that I just didn't get the time to ask. I would love it. Anytime I get to hang out with you, even if it's on the phone, I'm happy. For more information from today's podcast, check out our show notes. There you can find our contact information, social media, and website. Please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions. And if you like today's podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.